welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. I am not Justin. I am Ross, as Olivia said already. Uh, with Justin out of town, he asked me to come in, and I'm really happy to be here uh, with you all this morning. I've got some history with a few of the people here, as, as Olivia mentioned this morning. Uh, today we are looking at, we, in what we just read, we're looking at uh, the, these two phrases here, that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Uh, there's two scripture passages up there, um, and I'll, I'll actually read those uh, uh, a little bit later as, as um, going through the sermon instead of reading them right now. So, there are, uh, there are different kinds of work and rest. I think this is something that most of us feel pretty intuitively. Uh, even if you're not consciously thinking about it, you can still recognize the difference between, uh, say, like a, a, a good day's work where you might be exhausted by the end of it, but you're satisfied. Uh, and then, and then you, you know the difference between that and the busy day's work that uh, at, you get to the end of it and you're just dreading the next day. And the same goes for rest. So uh, there's kind of that well-earned, refreshing rest that you, and often that comes at the end of that, that good day's work. Uh, but then there's also like the, um, uh, Ross, are you still watching Parks and Recreation? And you say, yes, I am, Netflix, shut up. Kind of that, there's that kind of rest too, right? You, you feel that. Uh, it's, it's, it often has to do with, uh, with our mental state, and that's whether we're conscious of it or not. Uh, you start, your, your brain is kind of asking, asking you questions, uh, like, you know, did I achieve what I set out to achieve this week? Have I, uh, have I fulfilled the expectations that I had for myself, or that I feel that others had for me? Did I, did I actually accomplish those things? Um, or, you know, have, have my goals, uh, have my expectations been blocked this week? Uh, you know, in, in, I could kind of keep rolling with those questions, and I imagine that, that you can start thinking of some of those questions too, the questions that, that you ask yourself throughout the week uh, that, that, that start to kind of weigh on you. So I, I think that it's not just our mental state, though. I want to... I wanna, talk this morning about the, the way that our spiritual state affects the way that we work and affects the way that we rest. And I think that uh, those are very much tied up with uh, what we affirm this morning when we say that Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, it's possible that, that when, you, when you read that or you, you affirm that, uh, that, that that leaves you kind of like uh, his disciples at the time that it happened, when the event actually happened, that you know, they're just kind of standing, looking up into the sky and wondering, okay, uh, what next? Uh, wh- I, wh- what impact does this have? Uh, what are we supposed to do now? Uh, somewhat unlike uh, what, what you would have just covered, right, that Jesus' is, uh, Jesus is death, uh, and his resurrection, uh, his sacrifice, th- those seem to have a little bit more bearing on our day-to-day. We can kind of grasp that a little bit more. It's, it's very central to the core of the gospel where we say, okay, yeah, 
Like, I can recognize that I'm a sinner, and I, I, I deserve punishment because of that, but because of Christ's work, because of his sacrifice and, and his death, that, that, that now I am I, I'm free. I'm freed from that. Like, that, that, that kind of fits with, uh, uh, with uh, uh, an understanding of how it impacts us. But, but this, okay, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Like, what, what, what a bearing does that have on my daily life? Well, I think that the ascension ultimately points to to how we are to work and how we are to rest. Uh, with the reality of Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father, that that actually that actually enables Christians to stand apart from others in the way that we do both of those things, work and rest. And so we're going to look at we're going to look at both of those phrases, and I want to do so just kind of by simply asking a couple of questions of each of them. Uh, just asking, what is it that actually happened? Uh, what are the implications of what happened? And then, how does that then impact us? The kind of the, the so what of of, uh, uh, of of the event. Okay, so so the question is, what what actually happened at the ascension? Uh, and so I want to start and and just look at uh, the from the very if you. If you have your Bible and you want to look at the book of Acts, and then I think we will have it on the screen as well. Uh, This is the first chapter in the book of Acts in the New Testament, uh, and starting in verse 3. And this is just the the event of the ascension, where it's recorded. And it says, uh, He, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go heaven. Okay, so this is what this is what happened. After Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection three days later, he's now been publicly showing himself to his followers in, at various places and in, at various times. Uh, he shows himself to the women who come to the tomb. He shows himself to the twelve disciples. He shows himself to uh, gathered groups of, of uh, smaller and larger groups of his followers. But they're still a little bit confused, as one would expect. Nothing like this has ever happened before. So at the end of these 40 days of him uh, uh, being with his disciples, teaching them more, uh, he gathers his disciples on a hill outside of town, and, and they, they have a question for him at this point. And, and the question is basically this. So they say, okay, we thought that you were the kingly messiah, that was going to come and restore Israel as, as a, a powerful nation again. And we, you were going to overthrow the Roman oppressors. 
That's what we thought. But but then you were crucified. You were killed. And and even though you you had told us that was coming, we really didn't expect it to happen. Uh, but but now you're back from the dead. Now now you're back. And so does that mean that we are establishing that that earthly kingdom now? Are you restoring Israel to uh, to be this this powerful earthly kingdom now? But how does Jesus respond there? He says, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he follows that up, but he follows that up with a promise. He says, He says, I'm calling you to do to do some work. Uh, but I'm I'm giving you the power that you need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the uh, Theologian John Calvin, he comments on this passage saying that the disciples' problem in this case is actually the same thing that we face. It's the same problem that we have, which is that when we're faced with what Jesus calls us to do, uh, which is he calls us to be both uh, those who repent and believe. It's kind of the, the, first, the first thing that Jesus says as he begins his ministry. He calls people to, to be those who repent and believe, who, who are doing that, that heart work in themselves. And then, and then at the end, he calls them to say, you, I want you to go, to go and be my witnesses. So, so those things that we've been called to do, to be those who are repenting and believing, and those who are then going out and being witnesses, those are, those are uncomfortable. Those are hard. <laughs> those are, it's, hard to, it's hard to kind of dig in and to be those who repent. Uh, something we talked about on, on Thursday night for those that came out for the Bible study. Um, but it, it's also hard to, to actually go and to be, to be witnesses. And so what we'd rather do is focus on other things. We'd rather kind of distract ourselves with other things. And so Calvin is taking that idea where they're, they're saying, listen, um, do we have an earthly kingdom now? Like, are, are you establishing the kingdom? Are we going to be kind of leaders in this new kingdom uh, of the, the, with Israel restored? Uh, that, that really they're, they're wanting to do something different than what they have been called to do. And that's something that we do. I mean, there are kind of like our normal distractions uh, that, that everyone faces, right? Like, I mean, social media and Netflix. and the, I mean, there's just like those kind of everyday distractions that we deal with. But that can show up on the other side, too, with kind of religious trappings around it. Uh, it can show up in, as we have... Uh, uh, like an extreme focus on the end times. Like people wanting to know, like f- figure that out. When, when exactly is Jesus going to come back? And how is it going to happen? Or, or an, a focus on, I don't know, is the Mayan calendar right? Is the world going to end a couple years ago? Uh, I, or, or it looks like we're going uh, gonna to get really involved in some, some minor points. And that, man, that is going to be our focus. And we are going to argue with people online about it a lot. Uh, or you know maybe maybe I want to start a blog where I want to like start calling people out about thing problems that I see like there are some problems and I'm going to write about it and I'm going to post about it and tell people what I think about it. All of this ends up being a distraction uh, from what we have been actually called to do. So whether your distraction falls under the normal everyday things that everybody faces with it, with your with your phones uh, or your uh, fidget spinners, 
or it's something that falls under a little bit more of like the, the it has like some pious you know churchy kind of trappings where it's like no I just really want to study my Bible and figure out exactly when Jesus is coming at, coming back. Uh, either way, our, our focus is being placed in the wrong place. We're called to be uh, we're called to be repenters, and Jesus calls us to be His witnesses. And and where where is that? focus us. Well, Jesus elsewhere in the gospel tells us that that primary focus is what it leads us to loving God and loving others. That's the the central focus of all the commandments is loving God with our heart, soul, and mind and loving others. So if you find yourself getting caught up elsewhere, getting caught up in your focus is being driven elsewhere, whether you feel like that's kind of got a, a, a holy bent or it's just like I don't know, just just binging season after season of, of whatever your favorite show is, it might be time to, to kind of take a breath and and refocus. But how do we do that? What is this just something that we do on our own? Well, after the these last minute instructions, right? Jesus Jesus gives these last minute instructions, he gives his blessing, and then he ascends into the clouds and he's gone. And so the disciples are left just staring. I mean, the, the text tells us they're just staring up into the sky. Uh, we don't know exactly how long they were doing that. Uh, but at least for a little bit. And that makes sense because, like, who actually wants to be the guy that says in the moment, okay, all right, great, uh, i got to get back to work. Or, you know, you know, Jesus has just ascended into heaven. There's, a, there's, there's awe and there's reverence, and no one wants to be that guy that is, like breaks the moment, that says, okay, I'm, I'm gone, I'm, I'm leaving now. Uh, so, so God actually sends angels. He said two men who are, who are clothed in white appear, and they say, uh, they, they tell them, listen, you, uh, I think I had it written down here. Well, no, they tell them, what? They tell them, you have been given instructions. Go. Jesus is, you're just standing here looking into the sky now, but Jesus is going to be coming back in the same way that he left, which is to say, unexpectedly. So I think this, is, this kind of gives us our, our first clue into what it means to have a, a redeemed work, a redeemed uh, understanding of, of what it means to pursue work uh, as a Christian, the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, have been given a mission, but at the same time, they were told that you can't actually accomplish this on your own. You need to wait. You need to pray. You need to wait for what? You need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the gift that Jesus had promised his disciples, and it's the answer to the question of, like, why did Jesus actually have to go? Why did he have to ascend into the heaven? Well, he tells them, I'm ascending so that I can send the Spirit to you. I can, I can send you this, this gift that is the most precious of gifts. You need it. You need it to accomplish the work that you have been called to do. And so they wait, and they pray, and when the Holy Spirit comes, the church is born. Uh, it's, I mean, you, if you keep reading into Acts chapter 2, this is the exciting time of, uh, 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 called Pentecost. And, the, and the, the Holy Spirit comes, and some really exciting stuff starts to happen, and people just start to gather, and the church starts to grow as a result of it. Okay, but this, I mean, this is the rest of the focus of the book of Acts. The church spreading and growing, and, 
and we we can uh, focus because a lot of the focus is on the spread of the church, on the ministries of, of guys, the apostles like Peter and Paul, who with the Holy Spirit were going out and they were doing really amazing things. They were healing people. They were seeing people even called back from the dead. And I mean, you know, stuff that just kind of blows people's minds and and starts to uh, reveal the, the power of Christ to, to people all over the world. But when just focusing on that story, those stories, we end up kind of gliding over the stories of, that, are, that are mentioned, these people that are sometimes mentioned by name, sometimes are not mentioned by name, but these are the people who are also filled with the Spirit, but are, but are the people who stay, who are the people who make up the church in these different places that, uh, that, that you know, Peter or Paul or, or the disciples go to plant new churches. People like, uh, people like Lydia. Uh, she's a, a woman in Philippi. Uh, she, she's a woman who, who has, uh, uh, she has means. She, she, has, she has wealth to, to a certain degree. And so she ends up uh, su- basically supporting Paul and supporting the local church as it begins to grow out of her own home. Uh, you have the example of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They're named in the book of Acts, and they show up several times. They're just business. There's a husband and wife who are who are business people, uh, and they they own their business, and they end up traveling for their business. But wherever they go, they plug into the local church that has been planted by you know by one of the by Paul or or, or by Peter, and they uh, they they end up getting engaged there. And we have you know, record of them discipling future leaders in the church. Uh, you have Cornelius. He's an Italian soldier uh, who, who ends up, uh, you have kind of the first group of, he and his family are kind of the first group of non-Jews, uh, of, of Gentiles, to receive, uh, uh, receive the gospel and, and, and receive the spirit. Um, there's, uh, there's nameless others that, that we read that they, they cared for one another, that they uh, they shared what what they had, so those that had more were able to help support those who had less. Uh, th- these are uh, the people that that helped care for the poor. They they fed the poor both within the church and outside of the church. These are the the people whom the Spirit is also working through, and so these aren't the people that are going out necessarily and planting new churches and and doing that work. These are the people who are staying who are making up the community of the church. These are people like you. So it's possible that some of you might get the call on your life to, to go, to be the people that are sent out as witnesses to the ends of the earth. If you do get that call, um, feel free to contact me to find out about what ministry in East London might look like. Uh, I, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about that. But... Even if, even if one of you is called to go, the rest of you don't just scatter. The rest of you remain, right? So, the power of the Spirit. This is the gift that is yours in Jesus. Through that, you can really be a community that witnesses to the freedom that's in Christ right here. It doesn't involve always going. It involves using the power of the Spirit right here in your community right now. If you're trying to do these things in your own strength, if you're trying to, to, to fulfill the commands of, of Jesus in, in your own strength, things will fall apart. Sin is, is always a problem for us. 
even after we have freedom in Christ, sin remains a part of our life. That's why we're still called to be repenters. Uh, but if you're doing things in your own strength, sin works its way into your community and it tears things apart from the inside. So instead, instead, operate in the power of the Spirit. Here, here at City Church, here in St. Pete. So be repenters to God and be, uh, be witnesses to, to others in your community of the goodness of God. This is the mission that you have been given. Missions is not just what happens overseas. Missions is what happens right here in your local community. And all of it happens through the power of the Spirit. That's how we work. We work as Christians, whatever we're doing, whether it's as, as business people or as people in ministry or as people who are just even just passing through, that we are at work through the power of the Spirit. And that sets, apart, uh, sets, a, sets you apart in how you're doing it. Uh, there's a there's a there's a different feel to that uh, than than if you are simply pursuing things for your for your own gain uh, than if you are pursuing things uh, for the glory of God. So He's given us a mission, and He's called you, whatever you are involved in right now, to be a part of uh, to be a part of that mission where you're at. Uh, where you're at right here, right here, and he's given you the power that you need to do that in the spirit. But the s- second part of this is, what is Jesus actually doing now? Uh, so the the second part of that we're looking at is is he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now I think a lot of us operate under the assumption of Jesus as Captain America kind of picture, like. Uh, so he, he came in the past, and he fought, and he defeated like our spiritual Hitler by sacrificing himself, and now he's frozen in ice, kind of preserved for uh, preserved until that kind of future time when he'll, he'll return and, and be thawed out, and he'll conquer evil once and for all uh, uh, again. Um, I don't know. I don't know if any of you have seen the Captain America movies, but, uh, you know, there's kind of the sense that, like, he he came and he did something great, and then now he's kind of in this, like, stasis, waiting for his second coming when he returns to to, uh, bring his kingdom to to, uh, fruition. What we're affirming in the creed, though, when we say that he is when he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, we're affirming exactly the opposite of that. Uh, that language that, that, that we're using there, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that's royal language. Jesus has, uh, he accomplished his purposes here on earth, and then he ascended into heaven, and he is seated as a king over his kingdom. So, you have, you have Jesus who came from heaven and born as an infant child, born as a human, and so you have this piece of heaven that has come to earth, and then now Jesus has, has ascended into heaven and brought that piece of earth, he, he ascends in as, as a, with a human body still, back to heaven, and, and that piece of earth has now gone to heaven. Jesus is, is bridging the gap in between heaven and earth. Or it's kind of like a like a sewing machine where the, the needle pushes the thread down and it loops it around and brings it back up and it, and it's, it brings those, those pieces together into, into one sheet. This is heaven and earth are now connected in Jesus. 
So the, the man who experienced the humiliation of death on the cross is now exalted as king in all authority. He's seated on the throne. This is what Paul is talking about in his letter to the Ephesian church. That's the other passage uh, here, right at the beginning of the letter. Paul's actually recounting his prayer for them. And he says, this is, this is what he says. Uh, uh, he, his prayer for them is, is first that they would receive the gift of the Spirit that we've just been talking about. Then, then he prays that their eyes and their hearts would be open to see and understand the hope that they have because of Jesus, and this is how he describes him. Jesus, who is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. There's a lot in that. And I, I'm not wanting to dig into every, every word. I mean, the, the words and the ideas that are in there are important, but also important is the tone. Paul, he just can't stop himself. As he, as he is, he's got this just super long, run-on sentence that is going as he's just reflecting on, on what it means that Jesus is now seated in authority in his, on his throne in all power. This isn't Jesus in stasis waiting for that future day to return. This is Jesus fulfilling his purpose. He's, he's ruling now over the world that he came to save. There's a kind of a cool parallel to this. If you go back to the, the beginning, go back to the beginning, Genesis, you open your Bible to the first page, you have Genesis 1.1, and you read about God creating the world. And that passage ends up, like for most people, uh, it just ends up being kind of a debate, and, and people think of, okay, when God created the world, that means we have to debate about science and religion, and what's the, how do those work together, uh, or are they separate? But when it all becomes about that, we miss the story that's being told in that, in that first chapter. And it's talking about God creating the world. It, it, it's this, this beautiful picture of, of God who, who is um, creating his kingdom. So you have the first three days where God creates the, the places. And then the, the, the next three days where God fills those places. So the, the heavens are then filled on, on day four with the sun and the moon and the stars. And then, and then the, the creation of the, of the water and the sky are filled with birds and fish. And the creation of the, of the earth is filled with animals and then people. And then, and then finally on, on the seventh, so you have this kind of corresponding picture of creating the place and then filling it with things. And then on the last day, we're told on the, on the seventh day that God rests. As a kid, that that's kind of a confusing picture, um, you know, because you're growing up in the church. I'm I'm taught that uh, okay, God is sustaining everything, like He is He is in control and He's sustaining the world, and but then we're also told that like He rests, and so the picture that I automatically get as a kid is that He's 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 kind of like napping, like I've had a good day's work, now I'm taking a nap, and you know I'm trying to figure out like if God's napping. Who's sustaining the world? Who's holding it in his hands? Well, it, it's again, this is when we're talking about God resting, it's the, it's the wrong picture. That what, what we're actually talking about is this kingly picture of God who rests by being seated on his throne over his kingdom. And that God has created the world, and now he sits 
over it and calls it good. That's the picture. That's the, that's the image. So it's, it's, it's in this. Uh, yeah, so this isn't... Sorry, I lost my place. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't God who just lays down his, his work for a while. Just as this isn't the picture of Jesus who's, who says, I'm going to take a break for a little while before I return. This is the king who is sitting confidently on his throne and ruling. And it's in this that we can rest. We're called to uh, honor the, the, the Sabbath, which, which is what we talk about when, when we gather on to church. We're called to say, like, there's a day where we're called to gather, uh, to worship God, and, and to rest. Why can we do that? Why, why is that? Well, we're able to do that in, not because God, God like, took a nap and so we can take a nap on, on the seventh day, but we're called to do that because we can rest because God has it under control. Like we can, we can give up our control for at least a day and to say, God, you have this in your hands. You, you continue to rule even though my, I don't have just constant effort. We can trust in his sustaining power. This is the same picture that we're given of Jesus here in Ephesians. That Jesus has taken his seat on the throne in all authority, having conquered sin and death. That work is finished. That work was finished at the cross, but he's not taking a load off now. He's not having a vacation. But Jesus is now ruling and directing the growth of his kingdom in in our hearts and in our communities. I really like the way that uh, Eugene Peterson puts it. He's a um, he's an author. He's one of these guys that I've never I've never met. He's still alive, but I've never met him. But he I feel like he's my mentor. Um, I wouldn't know what to say if I met him, kind of thing. <laughs> um, he he talks about this. He he says often we think that, like when we wake up in the morning, like all right, like let's like I'm getting to work. And I'm getting things started. Um, and, and we do that because we kind of have put ourselves as the main character in the story that is being told. Uh, like, I, that's, uh, I'm the main character, and, and so when I wake up, then here, like, the narrative begins again. That leads us to get out of whack uh, with our working and our resting. But Peterson urges us to, to recognize that God is the main character of the story that's being told. And so that even while we're asleep, uh, that he's still at work. Even while we're checking Facebook in the morning, he is still at work. And so when we, when we enter into our day, we are not getting work started, but we are joining in the work that he has already been pursuing. That work that has continued all the while while we are resting. So if, if we believe that we have a king in heaven who is sustaining us and sustaining the world, who is working out his good purposes, we can rest in that. Even in those places where we just we don't understand why yet, why something's happened, why something happened in the past, that we can learn to rest even in that uncertainty. But all this knowledge can can reveal the areas in our life where we're not trusting God. Um, and so as you go out this week, uh, there are questions that, that you can be asking yourself. Like, like, where is your stress building? 
where do you feel like you, if you don't devote your, just your, your heart and your mind constantly to something uh, in, in just work and worry that it's going to fall apart? I mean, where, where are those places? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage, your relationships? Is it your church? Uh, is it your health? A call to rest isn't a call to ignore those areas. It, it's a it's a call to to uh, work. We are ha- we have been given that call to work, but we've been called to do so not in our own power, but through the power of the Spirit. But when we have done what we can do, it's also a call to place it in God's hands, to rest in the knowledge that He is in control. And, and this is where Jesus stands, uh, and he stands with open arms, and, and this is uh, from Jesus' mouth. It's recorded at the end of Matthew chapter 11, where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So, so go out this week. Go out in the full strength that is yours in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. And then, at the end of the day, confidently rest, knowing that that, that rest is yours in Christ as well. Uh, let's pray.